0: You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 7 covering the Corbomite Maneuver and the Menagerie Part 1.
1: All right, hello, welcome once again. Hi, folks. We are, this week we are doing an episode and and then kind of a half of an episode. Half an episode. We'll we'll get to that in a sec. That's good planning, right? Yeah, well, it's not our fault, and it's not really Star Trek's fault either. But uh, we'll we'll get to that in a sec. Yes. Uh, First up was the Corbomite Maneuver, which, incidentally, probably the first great episode, like the first one that I saw that I truly loved, and just quintessential Star Trek episode. It really is just fantastic. Uh, let's see. Not much really happens in this episode, but for maybe the only time in any Star Trek series ever, this is actually a compliment. See, the Enterprise encounters some kind of colorful cube that plays sinister music and won't let them move. So they blow it up. Then they run into a bigger vessel that contacts them with the awesome, booming voice of Lurch from TV's The Addams Family. The voice informs them that the cube is a marker buoy and that they're in a lot of trouble for destroying the thing. Then we wait. Only it's not tedious, it's tense. Lieutenant Bailey, this week's sucker in the Chekhov seat is driven particularly nuts by all this and seems unable to do uh, much of anything, really. He's there to represent how tense everything is, because the rest of the crew are handling it calmly and professionally, as befits the greatest ship in the fleet. Eventually, Kirk bluffs his way out of the confrontation using the titular maneuver. The chase ensues, resulting in what appears to be serious damage and injury to the alien vessel. Kirk takes a landing party over to offer assistance, but it turns out the whole injury thing was actually a ruse to test Kirk's claims that his intentions were peaceful. Which is a thing we're going to have to get used to because approximately 85% of alien species encountered by Starfleet vessels are testing them somehow. <laughs> the alien reveals himself to be the hideous and real life Clint Howard. <laughs> Kirk and the alien Captain Bond and Kirk leaves Bailey behind because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, like I say, really great episode. The first truly, like we had the, the two pilots that were quite good. But really, if you wanted to show someone a single episode of the original series and say, this is what it's all about. This mm-hmm. would be it. I mean, you well, got like, all the characters really true to form. You got exploring the unknown. You got a little bit of action. You got a little bit of ponderousness. It's it's just a, a great episode, I think.
2: This was one of the ones, one of the first ones that had like all of the main cast all doing something. Like we've done we've done a few episodes, and if you'll notice, a lot of episodes are missing someone. Someone will be off somewhere else doing something, or someone will be a voice on a phone. But this has everyone doing something. Well, except for Uhura. Well, unless it's Ohara who <coughs> says hailing frequencies open about 18 times. Yeah,
1: really, if you want to look at Nichelle Nichols' complaints that that's all she does. I mean, I thought that might be an exaggeration. I thought she might have been, you know, like a hammy actor. Like, no, I want more lines. I want more. But really, this episode, she does say it. And that's all she says so
2: <laughs> many times. No, no, sometimes she got to say hailing frequencies are open.
1: This is true. Um, the thing is, because of the way it's structured, because of the tension, uh, there's a lot of you know, opening communications and closing communications. I mean, someone's got to say it. Mm-hmm. It just sucks that that's all she gets to do. Yeah, but apart from that, I mean, really nice, nice ensemble stuff. I mean, Spock mm-hmm. has some stuff to do. Scotty has some stuff to do. It's, it's,
2: you know, we meet Lieutenant Bailey, the most useless guy in all of Starfleet.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like I said, I I went back I, when I was writing my little summary there. I got to thinking, what is Bailey good for in this episode? And it really is to show, you know, the outsider's perspective, the uh, the voice of the audience, because. Everyone else on the ship is doing their job perfectly. Mm-hmm. You need one fuck-up to say, oh, oh, this is crazy. And, you
2: know, then they ditched him. So. Start yelling at the captain. You don't understand. We can't stop here. This is crazy. <laughs> this is bad country. Keep your heads down. I can go hide the cargo bay.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um like I say, well, this this was uh, Enemy Within was the first episode I ever saw, but this is the first episode I really loved. Like, mm-hmm. I saw this one and it's like, okay, well, a little cheesy here and there, but overall, I get why people like Star Trek now. This is yeah. th- it's just great stuff. And really, 35 to 40 of the 50 minutes are just waiting for something to happen, but it's done in a way where you're kind of on the edge of your seat. Like, is they yeah, going to die or, they're gonna, you know?
2: Like, I mean, you know, you get that sort of suspense thing thrown around a lot, but this episode was, like, it had real tension in it, which was awesome.
1: Yeah, and I don't think they could do that again. Like, I don't think they could do it down the road on this show. I definitely don't think they could have done it on on Next Gen or DS9 or Voyager. Mm -mm. Because by that point, we've seen a bunch of aliens, okay, open hailing frequencies and get on with it. But at least once, early on, for the first time, you get to see, sometimes it's just really tense and you don't know what's going to happen next.
2: Yep. And We get to see like the entire crew sort of losing it in their own way. Like uh, Sulu spends the entire episode counting down to when they're going to die, and he starts really pissing people off. <laughs> which
1: which really works for me. A lot of that seems very realistic. Mm-hmm. When you watch like a really good say play where just a bunch of guys are in a room and stuff's happening, it it, it felt like that. It felt like really
2: solid drama. I just love as it's getting down to the end. If anyone's interested, thirty <laughs> seconds to go. <laughs> There's some reason. Please re- don't yell at me. <laughs> Look, this is just my
1: job, okay? The counter's on my, on my console. <laughs> Maybe would just, Uhura would like to count down. Yeah, this could really while. be Uhura's job. <laughs> for some reason, I guess they like the sound of Takei counting because uh, usually in his uh, navigator duties, he's always going warp one, warp two, warp <laughs> three. <laughs> this is just another excuse for him to count, you know, backwards this time, but still just <laughs> Takei counting.
2: Shatner had Decay on uh, standby for whenever he needed to go to sleep. He'd just have Decay come into the room and count softly for him. Un, <laughs> one sheep. Two, two sheep. Two. Can I go now? Yeah, yeah, two. Like, there's a bit of a – it's <laughs> not quite an
1: accent. It's just a weird, like, his oo sounds. It's like – Karate. You have to purse your beak. <laughs> I'll purse your beak. <laughs> so one, one of the only real problems I had, apart from Uhura, like, she, she could have had a little more to do with that. You know, mm. that's a minor nitpick was the sort of two dimensional way they look at space. And this comes up again. Yeah. Um, they talk about this buoy blocking their forward progress. Well, you don't have to move forward in a straight line in outer space.
2: Yeah. It's and just like, OK, back up, go around or up or, you know, like you sideways. have an infinite amount of places to go.
1: Yeah, No, it's right in front of us. Well, if you're driving on a road, that's an issue. But space you know, despite what you may have heard, space is not a road, and the internet no. is not a big truck that <laughs> drives on that road right um <laughs> but but apart from that I mean there's a there's a lot of really great dialogue bones in particular had some really subtle i mean really subtle banter with uh oh, yeah with Kirk. there's some nice like uh recurring lines where Kirk says, you know don't you always say this and and just uh DeForest I don't Kelly remember pulls, what we're saying. Uh, yeah, divorce Kelly pulls it off perfectly. I don't ever say that. What are you talking about? And it's just, I mean, it's, it's really nice. It's not laugh out loud, exaggerated nuclear Wessels laughs. It's just subtle mm. character stuff. And, and Bones is always kind of, you know, jabbing him a little bit. Uh, there's a bit at the beginning where, uh, uh, Kirk has taken his physical and the, um, the red alert light's flashing, uh, but there's no sound and Bones doesn't tell him about it until he's finished the physical. And it's just nice, because, like, you know, he's got his priorities. Well, you're always rushing mm. off and doing something. I need you to stay
2: here. And, you know, <laughs> we get the great, uh... What am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? Woo! <laughs> Which is... Always cool. nice to see, or nice to get, nice to finally get that.
1: I think chronologically, like, the way they recorded these, I think it was actually the first episode after uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before.
2: I would not be surprised. It's, you still got her in the gold uniform. Right. and
1: A lot of the stuff feels like it's not quite in place yet, But, but a lot of it is. Mm. and uh and like i say, i really really enjoyed it um in the in the blu-ray there was some great stuff that cube i mean there's not much to it no but they managed to make it look pretty cool and then uh uh, baylock the aliens uh ship which is really just like four dots connected by lines yeah uh, looked really impressive like they stayed true to the original design but it still looked like a ship and it i just i was really impressed i I continue to be impressed by those Blu-rays.
2: Yeah, see, in the original version, it was just a big flying Rubik's Cube.
1: (laughs) But, you know, they didn't know what the Rubik's Cube was back then, so it's possible, (laughs) you know. They're ahead of their time. Yeah, or maybe, you know, the Rubik's Cube stole it from there. Like, Mr. Rubik is watching this episode, and you know what would be cool?
2: Jeremiah Rubik was a huge fan of Star Trek.
1: (laughs) Well, who wasn't, really?
2: Yeah, you got me there. (laughs) And every time that cube showed up, it was...
1: Awesome, awesome music. But yeah, I, I mean, it shows up on a on a view screen like Kirk's looking at it from sick bay, and the music follows it.
2: Fock, did you turn that on for my benefit? I thought it would help to uh, convey the seriousness of the situation, Captain. <laughs> but you
1: know, again, a lot of repetitiveness, a lot of waiting, but it still it it really worked. And when you finally get to horrifying little Clint Howard, oh. who in this episode I think was uh, eight or ten or something like that.
2: Yeah. He would go on to play the gremlin on the wing of the plane. <laughs>
1: he he looks
2: like that in real
1: life. I was I was trying to explain to Matt who I you probably know who he is, but I just don't think you've put a name to the horrible face before. Ugh. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in uh, Arrested Development. He was in um, a lot of movies. He's just and he looks exactly like the, the creepy little alien kid from that, only bigger. Ugh.
2: Not a pleasant looking man. No. But it's it's pretty clear what the to where the talent went in that family. <laughs> the talent, the looks. Yeah. Uh, Not that the Ron teeth. Howard is
1: a particularly handsome man, but yeah. No
2: look, but uh,
1: but he does have you know two rows of straight teeth, which counts for a lot in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Why do I keep
2: getting picked to play aliens? I
1: don't think he sounded. I'm pretty sure the the voice was dubbed, but which I also particularly like. I like the voice that they dubbed in for him because he looks like kind of like a baby. Ugh. Except he walks around, and then the voice they have is like this.
2: Welcome, so nice Captain to, so Kirk. Nice. <laughs> we represent the lollipop gift. <laughs>
1: uh, but really, I, I just I enjoy this. There's not a lot to it. It's just nice tension, nice character stuff, and they get over there. And I really like the payoff at the end, where no, we we really are not trying to destroy you. We're trying to help, and the the little. Not exactly a twist at the end, but close to it, where you think Kirk is going to hunt this guy down and shoot him, and instead they go in to rescue him. It's like, yeah, Mm. that's what Starfleet really is. Yeah, It's not usually what Kirk does, but...
2: That and abandoning people on planets. (laughs) Or in this case, on a ship.
1: (laughs) And I I did love, I I mentioned the the voice of uh, Lurch doing the the, the nice Balok puppet. (laughs) I love that puppet. You have five Earth minutes to comply.
2: And yeah, another one of those Earth minute, or those one of those Earth minute type things.
1: Yeah, it's, it, I, you pointing this out while we were watching is sort of the quintessential. Uh, I mean, the best example of like, pray to your Earth gods that I will not Earth destroy your Earth ship in Earth five minutes, Earth
2: <laughs> egg.
1: <laughs> but again, it works here. It's not a cliche yet. It's still it's still right.
2: Earth.
1: So yeah, overall, not a bad episode at all.
2: No, I am a fan.
1: I think uh I, I would I would venture even to say, apart from the cage, which doesn't really count because it didn't really air, mm-hmm. this would probably be my favorite so far. Maybe my overall favorite of season one, but we'll we'll see when we get there. Yeah. Uh anything else on this one?
2: Um, I think that might be it. You get shirtless Kirk yet again.
1: Well, at this point, I'm wondering if we shouldn't start a. You know, we always pick out a quote, and we always talk about the the, the science thing. You know, like in the mm-hmm. future, I'm wondering if we should start a shirtless Kirk count.
2: He actually uses it as a towel at one point. I'm like, do you even know how a shirt works? Yeah,
1: he's he's in the he's in the sick bay, and he's doing his physical, and he's you know uh, working up a sweat,
0: <laughs> and <laughs> he's
1: got his own shirt draped around his shoulders. And as he's taking the turbolift up to the bridge, he's just wiping himself down with his own shirt.
2: Yep. That's not... Pleasant. That's not sweat. That's my natural musk. <laughs> Why, hello, yeoman. Oh. Was Rand in this episode, I'm sure... Yeah, she was. She showed up to give him a sandwich. Of course she did. Randing things up. Mm-hmm.
1: Like she always does.
2: Yep. Oh, I'm here to help. Here, a sandwich. Get out yeah, of here. Yeah, uh, men ma- are talking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Uhura keeps saying hailing frequencies are open, but Hailing otherwise...
2: frequencies open, Captain. I know what they are. Look,
1: well, could I just leave a recorder here and leave early today? <laughs> just put a Michelle Nichols dummy here. <laughs> uh, but overall, decent episode. Yes. Um, the next one was uh, that we watched was uh, part one of uh, The part me- Menagerie. The Menagerie. Which is uh, yours to do, so take it away.
2: All righty. So, the Enterprise arrives at Starbase 11 on Mysterious Business. They weren't ordered to to go there, and the guy in charge of Starbase 11, Commodore Schmidlap, didn't order them.
1: Matt, I I don't think that's his actual name.
2: It is for the purposes of this. Very well. I don't care what his real name was. (laughs) Meanwhile, Spock is getting up to unexplained Vulcan mischief. Turns out that his former captain, Christopher Pike, is now on Starbase 11, and a a stupid accident has left him stuck in a ridiculous bump-and-go wheelchair with a giant stain on his face. Uh, You may remember him as being awesome in the cage, and if you don't, you're in luck. We'll get to that. (laughs) Spot kidnaps Pike and then steals the Enterprise, telling the crew that they are now on a secret mission and sending them to the forbidden planet of Talos IV. Uh, Talos IV is the only planet so forbidden that if you go there, Starfleet will, will execute you. For some reason. Kirk and Commodore Schmidlap follow in a shuttle, but it's clear that if the Enterprise doesn't stop to pick them up, they're going to run out of air and die. So Spock allows Kirk and the Commodore to catch up and then places himself under arrest. crew quickly assembles for a court-martial hearing for Spock, who then shows a bunch of clips from the cage. And if you want to know more about that, we did a whole damn episode about it. <laughs> when
1: we uh, when we were discussing doing this review of of this two-parter, which... Which recycles uh, most of the footage from the cage. <laughs> we yeah. talked about just giving you guys clips of that review. <laughs> uh, but no, we did commit to reviewing every episode individually, and we will and, do
2: that. And damn it, we're going to do that. Now, I I think it's fair.
1: Like, I think it's unfair to say they're repeating themselves. Because putting this in, in terms of uh, 1967 when this aired, no one had seen the cage. It never saw air. No, and
2: there was no chance of them ever seeing it.
1: Right, because of all the problems the network had and the, reason, you know, the reasons they gave that led to the second pilot. Yeah. So I think this was actually a smart move in in the context of the, of the time period. Mm-hmm. They said, hey, look, we shot a great show that was really smart and really interesting with uh, really expensive sets. Why don't we find some kind of framing device to present this? And they did a pretty decent job, I would say.
2: Mm-hmm. And the plot of the Menagerie is actually quite good, too. Yeah, like, the actual see... framing
1: device is actually quite good.
2: Yeah, we see Spock acting like really out of character for him.
1: And unfortunately, this is a a, a thing that'll repeat in later episodes and it kind of loses its impact after a while. I can think like I haven't seen every single episode, but I can think of 5 off the top of my head where Spock does something strange and out of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but, takes the ship in a different way or, you know, whatever. But here is the first time and probably the best time.
2: Yeah. And there's a there's a great moment where uh, where Kirk is starting to suspect that Spock might be up to something, and Bones of all people starts defending him.
1: Yeah, that's really nice.
2: Which was really, it's like, he, damn it, he, damn it, Jimmy's a Vulcan. They're not allowed to lie, which, which is you know, of course
1: racist. But. Well, yeah, and a bit, you know, the broad strokes that they say all Vulcans are like this. Well, no, probably not. But on the other hand. Yeah, agreed. It's nice to it, it, see that Bones actually does care about him and doesn't yeah. want, you know, the guy's his friend. He just likes to
2: give him a hard time. Green-blooded prancing hobgoblin. <laughs> prancing? That's a new one. <laughs> no, I remember that from one of them. He called yeah. him a prancing hobgoblin.
1: Very well. Now, I, um, I, I enjoyed the, like I say, the framing device. The problem is when I got the Blu-rays, this is one of the episodes I watched. And then when mm-hmm. we started doing this podcast, I watched The Cage. And then we watch this again. So in about a month, I have seen the events of the cage like three or four times. It's like okay, I get it. They got big heads, <laughs> but I mean, the, again, Not the show's fault. It's just I'm starting to get a little burned out on that story. Is all. Mm. I, Come on,
2: I do something else. Do anything else. Beep
1: beep. <laughs> <laughs> now this this definitely merits discussion. I mean, it, it's the future. It's the, I mean. It's the 23rd century. Really beep beep is all you can do. Yep.
2: We have we have computers that are almost like that are almost uh yeah. al- like alive. Like the oh, enterprise I mean, computer can per- can articulate perfectly well. What we can't do apparently is install a voice box in a wheelchair.
1: Even though, you know, Stephen Hawking has had one for 20, mm-hmm. 30 years, uh, they've just recently made one for Roger Ebert, assembled out of thousands of hours of his movie reviews yeah. that speaks with his actual voice. Yeah. So you would think in another 200 years they could pretty much master the technology, but no. Just beep or beep beep.
2: They they didn't even give him the
1: option of learning Morse code. No, it's pretty sad. Although I do think, and and this is something I said to you while we were watching it, I do think putting aside the ridiculousness of it, and it's very ridiculous, you need a mm. huge suspension of disbelief here. Uh, but but given that uh, dra- drama wise, on a dr- in a dramatic sense, it's pretty creepy. Yeah, the fact that he can't, all he can do is think. Yeah, all he can do is give you a yes or no answer in this creepy,
2: sterile beeping, and that is it. Yeah, and Pike himself actually looks pretty creepy, too. That big scar on his face is just... Mm.
1: Well, they did a good job because they couldn't get Jeffrey Hunter back, which is why they scarred him beyond recognition. Yeah. They they couldn't get the other actors, so they got a alike, and they, they fucked him all up, so you, you believe it's the same guy. And I believed it was the same guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know any different until I was told. For a while,
1: they um, there's there's a point where Spock is trying to... You know, uh, get this plan in motion, get Pike out of there. Pike doesn't want any part of it. And all you hear in the background is this insistent no beeping over and over again. And it's, yeah. it's kind of creepy. It's like, because mm-hmm. no one's really listening to him. No one knows why he's saying no. He's yeah. just so frustrated. It actually gets a little faster for a while. Like he's insistent. Mm. <laughs> a little bit of beep acting going on there.
2: <laughs> he was the greatest beep actor of them all. <laughs> At least until that R two D two guy showed up. Well, but
1: you know, this guy was ahead of his time. But that ham. So. <laughs> but no, not you're you're absolutely right. Not a not a bad uh, framing story at all. And really strange when Spock uh, realizes that he's gone as far as he can go, and he's got to he's got to quit. And mm-hmm. he, he just turns to Bones and basically dictates the terms of his arrest. <laughs>
2: Whoa! Well, uh, should, should I send you to your should I send you to your quarters? Is that enough? Yeah, that should. would be fine, Doctor.
1: Do I need to send you to the brig? No, no, that's all right. Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, B- Bones
1: is very clearly like, what the fuck is going on here? What? But it's it, it's played really nicely, and then mm. the courtroom scene. I mean, you pointed this out. Uh, Star Trek generally does courtroom well. Yeah, and one of the reasons is they don't overdo it. I mean, I can think of a few great courtroom episodes. But I can't think of bad ones, because they really only did it a couple of times per series, and it usually really counted for something.
2: Yeah, a, a Star Trek JAG show probably wouldn't go over too well.
1: No, you don't want to, like I say, you don't want to go to the well too often. No. But, like, on Next Gen, for instance, there's the one where they argue in favor of Data's sentience. It's and a then, great episode. And then there's the one where they think they have a saboteur aboard it's the kid who ends up having a Romulan grandfather, mm. which, like, a witch hunt thing. That was another really good one. And that's, I'm pretty sure, all they did. And again, you don't go to the well too often. I think we in in the original series we get this, and then we get court martial later on. And yep, I think that's it. And as I recall, that's a decent episode as well. Um, I like the dress uniforms. I like uh, the the general of yep. like What's that?
2: I like the little exploded candies oh, oh. that they all seem to have. Well,
1: that's I think that's their medals. Oh, uh, Okay, I think because I mean because they know.
2: look. It, it. It looks like someone broke up a lifesaver and then pinned <laughs> it onto their chest.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, the actual military, like now, if they're in a formal proceeding, they put on their dress uniform, and part right. of their dress uniform is putting all their medals on. And I think that's what that is. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I had the the action figures of of Kirk and Spock in their their dress uniforms, and the, I really I'm not, I really don't have anywhere to go with that. I realized I just
2: <laughs> they looked really cool. That's like now. And now it's time for and now it's time for the Star Trek for when I play Star Trek court. They're <laughs> out of order, bones.
1: Oh no, they're in their uniform. You know, dress uniforms because they're going to a formal dance. And I would
2: uh,
0: <laughs> Spock would be dancing
1: with uh, Luxana Troy because uh, she's in a dress. They never made a green Orion slave girl uh, action figure, unfortunately.
2: The the Enterprise prom.
1: <laughs> well, you know they got a bowling alley. <laughs>
2: So why not? The enchantment under Talos IV dance.
1: <laughs> okay. Speaking of Talos IV, here's
2: the thing we got to talk about. The death penalty? Really? Yeah. Uh, this so is... apparently the, the only thing in all the Federation. Well, in you... Starfleet.
1: I mean, let's distinguish. The Federation is everyone. Starfleet is right. the military.
2: Yeah. There but might the be only a thing... death penalty in, in the rest of the Federation. Yeah. But I kind of doubt it. <laughs> Well,
1: this is Gene Roddenberry's enlightened sort of liberalish. And I don't say that in a bad way. But or Kirk spends his last. vacation
2: at a penal colony. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um it definitely, you know, a more like socialized type uh, future. It seems strange that they'd have the death penalty on the books for anything, much less just going to a forbidden planet. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah, um, I did. Yeah, it, it seems very strange. And apparently Spock taking the entire ship there means everyone could be executed if they actually make it there
2: yeah we were talking about this and it's like i guess everyone gets killed and then they they flat out say you know uh if this happens everyone on this crew is dead meat
1: i'm responsible for the lives of 400 and whatever men and now they're all gonna <laughs> die
2: what's the tally this week spock <laughs>
1: 138 well, minus a couple of red shirts we left yeah. bailey off last week so
2: <laughs> well that's right bailey cross cross
1: <laughs> you uh you decided that Helen Noel shouldn't be around anymore after that whole thing. How <laughs> many six guys?
2: You know how many crew members most starships lose in a year, Captain?
1: <laughs> I don't care. This is my ship, and I'm responsible for. I'm
2: responsible seven for however. <laughs> I'm responsible for lives for seven main characters on this ship, <laughs> and one of them hasn't even arrived yet. <laughs> so,
1: but really, the death penalty. Now we've having seen the events of the cage. We understand okay the Telosians said leave us alone don't come back like make sure no one ever comes here. Mm. Which is fine, but the death penalty? Yeah, really? There's there's not a better way to I don't know, erase it off the star charts or I mean I, having watched some next gen uh, Picard runs into this a few times and there's sort of a on the book procedure for don't come back to this planet these guys are xenophobes. Yeah. And it's not the death penalty.
2: Nope. It, you take the plan You take a picture of the planet in the, all the maps. and You just stamp a big no on it.
1: <laughs> you two seem to like no <laughs> on a sign. <laughs>
2: um, and then, of course, everyone in the entire in all of Starfleet is just like, "Well, why not? Shut up! Stop asking! Don't go here ever."
1: Well, no one, uh, no one ever cheats, so <laughs> that should be fine. Yeah, a little, little strange, but otherwise, you know, solid episode. Nice mm-hmm. to see Spock, and and it's difficult to really uh, have any complete conclusions on what happened because the rest of it's going to be spilled in part 2. Yeah. It's nice to see him acting strangely. I guess that's all I can say now because we don't know his true motivations just yet. Mm. But when we get the payoff it's it's quite rewarding.
2: And I really love his his sort of desperation trying to convince Kirk to, you know, let him go through with what he has to and Kirk just finally giving up on him.
1: Yeah. And and I like his maneuvering. I like that while he's been arrested, while he's being court-martialed, he's still totally in control of everything that's happening. Yep. He's basically maneuvering them to accept his evidence because they have to,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: to continue allowing the ship to go to Talos for because he had they have to. I mean, he's about to get thrown in the brig for the rest of his life, and he's still in total control, which is yep.
2: pretty fucking badass. Smart cookie,
1: that Spock. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's ever noticed that before. <laughs> All right. Uh, smart and, enough to deserve
2: a, <laughs> smart enough to get deserve getting his brain stolen.
1: Oh, uh, let's, let's not sully uh, <laughs> a couple of good episodes <laughs> here by hinting at what's to come. All right. Uh, any, anything else to say about, uh,
2: I the believe that's it for the menagerie part one. All right.
1: Um, all right. So, uh, for, for the Corbin might Maneuver, in the, in, the in the future, doctors will test your physical prowess by making you lie flat on your back and kick boxes into the wall repeatedly. <laughs> it's more it's, fun than it sounds. It's
2: the only way to get a decent workout around here. <laughs> so, uh, uh,
1: for the menagerie? In the, future,
2: in the future, despite incredible advances in technology, we'll still have ridiculous wheelchairs and only be able to communicate through beeps.
1: <laughs> I, um, I did enjoy, at the end of uh, what I call Fake Star Trek, the 2009 movie, that Pike still ended up in a wheelchair. Yep, that was a nice nod. Although it was an actual chair, and he
2: appeared to be fine. I love how, as much as that movie goes on about destiny, mm-hmm. it Pike is destined to not be able to walk.
1: Apparently, and yeah. they, they had a nice uh, line in there because typically they say, "You know, um, I relieve you, sir," and then the other guy says, "I stand relieved." Mm-hmm. <laughs> The, uh, the nice little subtle thing there where he says I relieve you sir and he says I am relieved <laughs> he ain't standing anything <laughs> no but uh, nice little like there's a lot of little inside jokes in that uh, in that movie and that was one of them mm. alright uh, for the Cobra Might Maneuver uh, my quote of the episode is basically just uh, a creepy little uh, Clint Howard uh, and his dubbed voice offering them the alien beverage that is Tranya Commander Balak I know I know a thousand questions, but first, the Tranya. Which there's a lot more amusing quotes in that episode, a lot more poignant quotes in that episode. But that one always sticks with me when I when I pop this one in. Uh, and and uh, the the child bride Amanda says, uh, "Which one are you watching?" And I said, "But first the Tranya." She's like,
2: "Oh, that's a good one."
1: <laughs> it's just the, the shorthand. That's just how you remember this episode.
2: And of course, Tranya is the alien version of Sunny Delight.
1: Yeah, it looks just like Sunny D. Absolutely. Uh, so, what, what was your quote for uh, the menagerie?
2: Well, I had to do a lot of thinking about this one, but eventually, I had to go with the rather stirring, which I think sums up the episode perfectly.
1: Yeah, it it does quite uh, quite moving. That. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's uh, that's the two episodes next week. Unfortunately, we got to cover <laughs> the cage part five. I
2: guess <laughs> again. Uh, but, Revenge of the Return of the Cage. <laughs> but then we're done.
1: Yes. Uh, which which is nice. And there'll be another episode mixed in there. We we tried to break it up so that we weren't just rehashing the same stuff in an entire episode. So that's uh, that's all from us for this week. Uh, yep. As always, we appreciate you uh, listening. And uh, write to us. We don't get a lot of mail here. And we'd like to. Yeah. It's uh, postatomichorror at gmail.com, I think. I don't know. Uh, yes. Something like that. All right, that's all from us, and we will talk to you next week. See ya.
0: The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed.